Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Sex has power. It has the power to entice. It has the power to build together. And it has the power to tear apart. It is something that God intended for good, our good. For all of us, it's an issue. For many, it's lost its meaning and become a passing transaction. But it can be a good thing again. What power will it have for you? Join us for this honest, straightforward talk about the power of sex. We get into this new series, and I did advertise it last week, and you guys came back. Woohoo! Don't blame me. Um, the, a couple of things I want to tell you about is, first of all, this series will be appropriate. It will. Um, it, it will be safe for you as well, and for the ages that we expect to be in the room. Let me do point out, we have nursery and we have children's church. So if your six-year-old is in here, that's not my fault. Um, it will be a very respectable conversation, but some conversations still shouldn't be had with six-year-olds. So you, you take that upon yourself. However, if you have youths and uh, pre-teenagers or, or, or whatever, even teenagers, depending upon the age, their chances are they're already having conversations that are beyond what we're going to have here. I do not intend to be racy or illicit in any way. This is actually going to be a pretty safe and conservative discussion about what the Bible has to say about things. Um, so the second thing I want to say is that we're going to end the series. The third week is going to be about restoring what the enemy has taken from us. And so the way we're going to do this is I'm going to have a Christian counselor who spends all of her time, uh, the majority of her time, putting uh, the pieces back together for people in this specific uh, topic of their lives. And we're going to be answering questions that you may have. So throughout the series, you can go to our website, uh, starting even now when you get home, you can go and submit a question that you have about sexuality or the Bible or about something that has happened to you, about how to get things back on track, how to fix whatever the case is, we want to be here to help you get back what God intended for you. So over the next couple of weeks, if you want the third week to be any good, give us all the questions you have. And the last thing that I want to say as the prelude before we get into this is uh, the reason we're doing this is, again, not for a shock value, not to make the parents run away and say, this is not a good place for my kids, but because we believe the church should be a voice and a source for truth on this subject. If the church does not speak about it in at least some respectable way, then you are left with Google. And I can't promise what you will find. And that is not the place that you should go to find out what God would have to say about this topic. And so I believe that our sexuality is probably the most distorted part of our humanity from what God intended. I mean, if you ever get in a conversation with somebody and they're talking about what's wrong with the world today, they're going to say it's all about money and sex. Well, God didn't create money, so, but God did create humanity, and he created us with certain things to happen in a certain way. So this conversation over the next few weeks will be biblical, and it'll be responsible, and uh, that's all of my prelude I've got. You guys good? If anybody needs to run a kid out, again, go check them in where they need to be. Um, so for me, when I was growing up, I have to tell you the truth. Everything I just said was not the case. Where I grew up, my church did not want to be the voice about sex. They never discussed it. I have never heard that word uh, growing up uh, in church or in youth group or in anything related to church. We never talked about that. It wasn't something the pastor would talk about or the youth pastor. We would go to youth conferences. Nobody there would talk about it. You would be left totally in this idea of, well, I know it's bad. 
Somehow it's bad. The preacher doesn't even say it's bad. It's just in the room. It's just it's in the air. You just know it's bad. God has a rule against it. Not really sure what the rule is. Somehow you just don't do it. When you get married, you probably still don't do it. Evidently, you know, I mean, come on, married people. That was funny. Y'all got to go with me today. Look, it's an awkward topic. Y'all got to help me out because the last service just stared at me like, are y'all alive? You know, that kind of thing. Anyway, the point is we, we just had this idea like, okay, well, I don't know why you should or you shouldn't or when or not. I just know there's a rule. God has a rule, but my pastor said God is loving and forgiving. So it looks like those two should just wash each other out, right? God has a rule, but God's forgiving. Let's not worry about the rule anymore. So truthfully, growing up as attempting to grow up as a Christian, going through high school and college, what really goes through your mind is not what does God think? Why does God say this? Or why does God say this? It's really the only question you're asking since God has a rule and God forgives. The only question left is, uh, are we going to get caught? Are we going to get pregnant? Is this going to disrupt my plan for life? And if you could wrestle with that issue, then you really weren't too concerned about anything else that God had to say about that. And the reason that we're doing this series is because I think I'm not the only person who is in that boat who's wondering, well, what's the point? I mean, God had a rule and here we go. No, no, no. There's much more to it. You see, here's the thing. Many of us view God as a big game maker. He sits up in heaven and he says, hmm, let me make a little game called the Christian life. Well, any game has got to have rewards if you get to this point. You win little spaces and you get things. And any good game is going to have little punishments and pitfalls. Nobody wants to roll this number and land on this space. You go back 12 spaces or something like that, right? And so since God is the great game maker, one of those pitfalls is having sex before you get to a certain space on the board. That's just the way the game works. Nobody knows why God just did it. Are y'all with me? God's not a game maker, but God is a creator. God is our creator. God created humanity. That means that he made man and he made woman and he made us to operate in a certain way. And God, because he's our creator, knows what is good for our future, what is good for us to thrive in life. And it means that he also knows what the enemy intends to use to rob us from something. So it's not enough for you just to know God has a rule. I don't want to talk about the rule. I want to talk about the why. That's the whole reason for this series is for us to understand what the enemy is trying to steal from us and what God wants us to have. Is that good? You guys with me? So here we go. I believe we're calling the series The Power of Sex because sex has power. And we're going to talk about the different powers that sex has throughout this series. Today, I want to talk to you about one really simple one. And that is that sex has the power to entice. So as I was praying about these different titles, I feel like that's the one God gave me. And since I was educated here in South Carolina, I had to get out a dictionary and make sure I understood the word correctly. Because, you know, we, we know it's got something to do with like trying to get you to do something. But anyway, whatever. So the word entice, actually, I'm going to read this here, means to try to attract by offering pleasure or advantage. The idea is sex is trying to pull you in by saying here is a pleasure or an advantage that will come to you if you join in with this activity. Well, actually, that's kind of true. Could go either way there. So what I want to share with you is one passage out of Scripture. It's actually an entire chapter. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to go through the entire chapter 7 of the book of Proverbs. 
you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen behind me. But I would like to encourage you guys to uh, make sure you have a Bible you're reading at home. That'd be really good. And you might even want to bring it to church sometimes because you might want to highlight, underline, write in it, say, wow, you know, something like that. So uh, that's for free, but it'll be on the screen if you don't have it with you. And so we're starting at the very beginning, and here's what the, the writer says. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. What we need to realize about Proverbs 7 is it's actually a plea. It's a fatherly plea from somebody who knows what he's talking about. Because this is written by Solomon. Solomon is the guy who either wrote or collected and put together all of uh, most of our Proverbs and Scripture. And he is known by Scripture as the wisest man to ever live. Says that he's the wisest who ever has been and ever will be. And so today we still refer to Solomon as the wisest man who ever lived. So he is the one who says, let me tell you how to live a good life. Well, in this case, he's not just doing it from wisdom. He's actually doing it from experience. He knows what he's talking about because Solomon has 700 wives. Which, in my opinion, should remove him from being the wisest man on earth. <laughs> I mean, anybody tried to make one woman happy? Imagine two. 700? How many times a day do you think he heard? Excuse me, do you know what she's saying about me? I mean, I mean, just how many times do you think he's heard that? And 300 concubines. That meant after he got to 700 wives, he was tired of calling them wives, so he would just fund them. That's the nice churchy word that we use for your mistress that you pay for. Yeah, that's what she really was. 300 of them. A thousand women all together. Which means he knew something. And so he is begging, please listen to my warning. Let me tell you, not women. <laughs> You're in trouble. You're in the doghouse when you get home. The problem isn't with women. He's explaining how the wisest man on earth ended up letting his heart get turned by a thousand different ladies. Don't blame the woman. He's saying, watch out for this. And so he says in verse 4, say to wisdom, this is again his plea. He's begging us to heed the warning. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. And, and I need to bring us all on the same page here because this is the point where a lot of the ladies, as they're reading their Bible in the morning, and they sit down and they get to Proverbs 7, and it says, this will keep you from the adulteress, from the seductive woman. They say, oh, well, I'm not worried about that. And they flip the page. And this is where some men who may struggle with this and they may struggle with that, but they don't intentionally plan to go out and have an affair, have never had an affair. And so they get to Proverbs 7 and say, oh, let me turn the page. And so although this is in our Bible and it's incredibly useful, the majority of people in this room probably overlook it and don't understand what the message really is. So I'm going to try to bring us to the same page. Proverbs as a book is known for personifications. It'll take a quality and try to turn it into a person you can associate with and understand. The, the one that it does the most, of course, is wisdom. And so wisdom being a quality gets turned into a lady all throughout the book of, of Proverbs. Even Jesus is personified as wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs. And so he starts by saying, I want you to call wisdom, which is not intelligence, completely different thing. Wisdom, meaning taking what God gives you, the ability to apply what you know in the right place and to understand right from wrong and what God thinks. That thing we call wisdom. Well, I want you to call her your sister. Now, if y'all are wondering, what? Let me explain it to you. I'm the younger brother with two older sisters. Here's what that means. You go to school. 
Oh, you're so-and-so's brother, aren't you? Yes, I am. Because you remember how that teacher thought of that. You're nodding your head. You get it with me. Or you go somewhere, family event. Oh, is this your sister? Yes, it's my sister. You know what? You can't get away from the person. To save your life, they're with you everywhere you go. And any young brothers in the room know I'm talking about. You wish you could get away from your sister. Even some of the sisters wish you could get away from your sister at a certain point. What he's saying is, I want you to make wisdom such a close relative. It's everywhere you go. You can't get away from this thing. And he personifies wisdom. And then later he personifies the adulteress. And so before you say, oh, I'm not, I'm not worried about an adulteress. That's not my problem. Let me turn the page and miss the point. I want you to understand it's actually a personification. This whole story is not so much about a woman enticing a young man as it is about immorality being personified as this lady. So as we read this, for those of you that have been flipping the page and ignoring Proverbs 7 all these years, I want you to pay attention today because it matters to every single one of us. If you are still breathing as a human, it matters. Are y'all with me on that one? All right, here we go. Here's the teaching. That was his plea. Verse 6, he says, For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, and I have perceived among the youths, and I want to pause there because at that point, some of us start to get insulted. Well, again, this doesn't apply to me because, you know, I'm not the simple. I'm not stupid. I'm not unintelligent or whatever the, the, the case is. And, and we don't understand the word correctly. Here's what simple really means is someone who's not yet strongly committed one way or the other. Meaning they're easily led and they're highly impressionable. Now, here's the truth. Teenagers, I need you to understand at this point, you may not like it, but you are easily impressionable. Truth is, 20-somethings in the room, <laughs> you're easily impressionable. 30-somethings, you're a little less impressionable because you're too busy paying for all of the earlier impressionableness in your life. It's really about 60 or 70. If I had some of those folks willing to stand up and give me a shout out where you start to realize we are not strongly committed. Even in our 40s, we're still like, oh, that looks shiny. Let me go that way. Oh, yeah, I'll sign on the dotted line. I'll buy one of those. Oh, sure, we can do that. And, and so here's the point. God has given you, teenagers, you're still with me. God has given you for your protection parents that you don't always agree with to say, no, you're too easily impressionable. You cannot go there. No, you cannot do that at that time of the night. No, this is not the way that's going to work because you are too easily impressionable at this point in life. Unfortunately, yeah, amen that one. Thank you. Unfortunately, when you turn 18, you're not automatically no longer impressionable. But the law says you can now make your own decisions. And somewhere between 18 and 22, most everyone in our culture leaves home they either get a job and start paying rent for mom and dad and get a key to the back door, or they move out and get their own place, or they go to college, or whatever the story is. The problem is, most of us are still as simple as we were when we were 17, and we get ourselves in trouble. And we need someone, and we need some help when we are not strongly committed one way or another. And you may say, what are you talking about, Jimmy? I'm incredibly strongly committed. Do you know how many people do something in their 20s that they say, I told myself I would never do? That's what it means by not strongly committed. You thought you were until the test showed up. Simple. A young man lacking sense. That's what he saw. I've perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. 
the insight we need to gain from this is that he is putting himself in a situation. It is dangerous and it is tempting. Okay, here is something we do in the church world. I don't really know why this is, but we've come up with a word for when people do something really stupid and sinful. It's called fall. Did you hear about brother so-and-so? He fell into adultery last week. What exactly did he trip over for that? Yeah, don't go there. Just tell me. I mean, seriously. And so we've got this idea of falling, but I'm just going to go along with it. Let's just go along with the word falling. Here is the guaranteed way to make yourself fall is to be on unstable ground. He has no business being here. He should know better, and he's taking you this walk. And, and you may say, what do you mean, Jimmy? I, I, don't, I don't go down to the red light district and whatever you're talking about. Again, this is personification. Follow with me. We do the same things in other ways. And, and I'm talking to a wide variety of people, so the examples are all over the board. We may have married couples who are struggling. We may have engaged couples who are ahead of the game. We may have dating couples who are really ahead of the game. We may have just teenagers in the room who are wondering or in the game as well and shouldn't be. You do things like this. Somebody gives you a number, and you keep it. And then when your husband didn't quite treat you the way you wanted, you call the number just because that guy was nice. And you really are just looking for a friend to encourage you. Or Facebook. Somebody sends you a message on Facebook, so you just write them back and thank them for their affection. Yeah. Let me tell you, my wife has gotten asked out on Facebook like what, five times now, something like this. So here's what the first thing that means. I'm married to a very hot lady, just so you all know. And so she told me yesterday, she said, I just got asked out again on Facebook. And this time they blocked it. Well, you know how they blocked it? Because this is the second time the same guy's asking her out. And I answered for her the first time. I made it very clear she was married and he need not find out any more about her. Okay, so the point is, though, some of us, some of us stay on unstable ground. Well, I'm not treated the way I want to be treated. So, and we find ourselves in situations Here's the problem. He knew where he was going. He knew the walk he was taking. He knew what he was looking for. He was incredibly intentional. And he was also violating a previous warning. We picked the story up in what we refer to as chapter 7. Again, those are kind of man-made added years after Scripture was written. But it actually started before that. The previous warning was, please, it's in chapter 5 in case you're wondering, please stay away from her. Don't go near because if you go near, it's going to be too late. But he's taking his little walk, passing along the streets, taking the road to her house. It says, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night, in darkness. Here's what that means. It's kind of dusk. It's a little difficult to see. It's still kind of day, but not quite day. You can't see quite as well. You guys know when we drive now at dusk, half the light, cars have their lights on, the other half don't. You're kind of confused. Is it dark? Is it not dark? And, and, and we're getting there, and it's, got, it's that point where you're kind of, he, here's what he's thinking. I can go looking, and I can go walking, because nobody's really going to recognize me. They're going to be saying, hey, oh, I think down the street, that's Billy Ray Joe Bob from church, you know? Yeah, that's who that is. And, and, but, but you're not going to be able to see that because it's dusk, and it's kind of hard to understand who he is. You see, we get ourselves into the time where we think we won't be identified. 
It's hard to really be clear and know what's going on. And then it continues into dark. Here's, here's the problem. You ever heard the phrase, nothing good happens after midnight? It's true. For the most part. I mean, nothing good happens the later it gets and the darker it gets. I, I work with people and I counsel couples that are going through devastation or work with guys who are addicted to porn or, or ladies too now. Unfortunately, the stats are about even. And, and it's getting worse and worse in the situation. And I, and I always want to find out how did we get into this trap? No one ever begins at 10 a.m. It doesn't happen. Nobody ever is having breakfast and, and then maybe second breakfast or whatever it is you do and say, I think I'm just going to go do this. Yes, you do get into trouble, and then you do get trapped, and then you do find yourself sneaking out to your car on your lunch break to surf the web on your phone a little more because you're addicted. And you do find yourself meeting someone at two in the afternoon because you're addicted, but it never begins there. It always begins in a place that you think, I can just do a little of this. I can just get away with a little bit of this. It starts like this. Well, I would never just flip on the TV and actually order porn, right? I mean, that'd be bad. You know, somebody would see the receipt. Somebody would pay for it. Somebody would tell the pastor, or, you know, whatever. You know, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stay up a little later and a little later because eventually the movies get a little more risque. And, and, and I can flip over to HBO. Yeah, honey, we've got HBO for the war movies, but you flip over to HBO at 1 a.m. And if you guys think I'm, I'm up here being like a prude on a soapbox, y'all just need to go talk to a, a secular, unsaved programmer of, of, of commercial TV. They'll they know what they're doing. They know that how they shift to play certain things at night because they know who's watching and they know what they're looking for. And they know where the ratings are. You see, we put ourselves in these situations later at night because we think, look, can I just help you with this? If you're married, go to bed together as much as possible. As much as possible. You don't need to stay up and watch TV for six hours after your spouse goes to bed. And you don't need to surf the internet by yourself. Probably ever and definitely not at night. Because you just start feeling sorry for yourself. And you get into this thing where you're like, you know, I've had a really bad day. And the enemy starts to tell you, yeah, you had a really bad day. And three nights in a row, your wife has already gone to bed early. And, you know, you just, you just deserve something. And in all of your defense, because you're good Christians... You start with, yes, I deserve ice cream. <laughs> and you go to the kitchen and you open up the freezer to get your favorite ice cream, but then your kids have eaten it, right? And so then you're thinking, well, the ice cream is already gone. Pantry. And the Cheetos are gone. Fine. And then next thing you know, you're just feeling sorry for yourself and, and whatever it is. And behold, the woman meets him. She's dressed as a prostitute, and she's wily of heart. Here's what we understand about her dress. Number one, it reveals her body. You see, at this point, she is adding pure visual lust to the situation. She wants to close the deal. You ever found yourself going into a store? You just are curious how much a 60-inch TV would cost because you want to plan and budget one so in about nine months you can pay cash for it. 
and somehow they have this salesman. Next thing you know, you're backing up the minivan to put the new TV in it. You don't know how that happened. Here's how it happens. They have what they call a closer, somebody to close the deal. So the first salesman standing there telling you about the specs of the 60-inch TV and why you need the new curved one and all that cool stuff. And then the other guy, the closer, comes up to you. Oh, yeah, man, let me tell you what. I've got one of these in my house. It's awesome. Matter of fact, what's your favorite movie? Oh, yeah, I just watched that movie last night on this. It was incredible. It was 10 times better than when I watched it on my other TV. You've got to get the closing of the deal. She has dressed to close the deal. She has said, if he gets this far, if he walks down my street, if he's out thinking that he'll just maybe take a look, maybe run the other way, maybe just find out if there's anything here, when he sees me closing the deal, We'll make sure if he gets this far, we know what we're going to do. The second thing, not only did it reveal her body, it revealed her intent. Because there is no way that he or she can say, well, this just happened. I don't know how this happened. I mean, we're just having a friendly conversation on the street, Pastor. We had no idea how this happened. Well, the dress just fell off the shelf and landed on me three hours earlier. I, had, I was not prepared for this. No, it reveals her intent. And it says that she's wily of heart, which tells us something. Again, Stop thinking man and woman and keep remembering the personification of immorality is what we're dealing with here. This wily of heart means that she is guarded. Meaning you don't really know who she is and what she is and you're not really getting inside. You're going to get a counterfeit, short-term, outward-only thing, but you're not getting what you're really after. It's going to be emotionally void. It's going to be hollow and it's going to leave you empty after the fact. Wiley of heart also on the other side means cunning. She's incredibly devious and she's incredibly intentional. Goes on to say she's loud and wayward and her feet do not stay at home. Like what? Why is this in there? Because it's a confirmation. Hello, if you haven't noticed, this is not what God would have for you. I'm going to continue describing this woman. It's the exact opposite of the way Proverbs describes the kind of woman you'd want to marry. So here's my point. Again, personification. When you look at this that the world is offering you, and it looks so different from this that God describes it as being, it's the confirmation. You should run the other way. It's not what God prescribed. It's not the way God said that it should be. But instead, we just look at it and go, oh, that's nice. We ignore even the confirmation. Like we're this far into the story, and we still don't know what we should run from. Now in the street, and now in the market, and at every corner, Follow these words. She lies in wait and she seizes him and kisses him. Those are hunter words. Those are someone who is out for a kill and knows what they are doing. Here's what we have to get. The opportunity to get ourselves in trouble is everywhere. Again, this isn't one woman. It's the personification of all of the immorality that the enemy intends for us. Everywhere you go, it's lying in wait. What I need you to understand this morning is the enemy has a plan. The enemy has a strategy, and he is out to get you. He wants to take us away from what God intends for us. It's part of a much larger plan to take away God's beautiful creation. And with a bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. And today I have paid my vows. I mean, wait, wait a minute. I mean, I was getting used to the idea we're talking about sex, and now she suddenly wants to talk about church. 
Doesn't she know church and sex don't mix? We don't talk about sex in church, and we don't talk about church when we're talking about sex. She's very confused here. Y'all can laugh. You're with me. It's okay. This is actually incredibly important for us to understand what's happening. She's doing what many of us do. When she says, I've had to pay my sacrifice, what she's referring to is what the Old Testament called a peace offering. And a peace offering was actually intended to build your relationship with God. It was intended to bolster your communion with Him and make you feel closer to God. It's why you went and made a peace offering. So she's saying, I actually went to church today. I checked my little box. I went through the motions of acting like I'm getting to know God. And now I'm over here living a lifestyle completely opposite to it. We do that. I know teenagers that are coming to church on Wednesday nights, but they can't wait to get home and get back on their phone or their computer. I know teenagers that they go to church on Sunday mornings, but they can't wait for Friday night. I know engaged couples that are in here together maybe, or, or I mean, I don't know, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but just experience has told me that there would be engaged couples in church on Sunday morning, but in bed together on Sunday night. Or dating couples and so forth. It goes on where we try to actually separate our faith in God and our following God in His ways from as soon as we're out the door, thank you God, got that, see you next week, I'm going to go over here and do something that's totally different from what you have for me. We try to balance a scale. I've been, I did my sacrifice, I checked my box. I mean, geez, I even wrote a check and served on a team. God, that's definitely got to overlook what I'm doing on Friday night. It's a balance in the scale. I even put some extra in the check because, you know, Friday night was really fun. Y'all can laugh. Come on. It's awkward enough if you're not enjoying this. And so she says, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Can you back up and hear those words one more time? Not as a woman talking to a man, but as immorality coming out for you. I've come out to meet you. I've seeking you eagerly, and I have found you. The trap is set. She goes on to say, I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I don't know, I kind of laughed. Y'all laugh at that? It's like, it's like thousands of years later, and you go into Target, and you still see the price go up when you see Egyptian cotton, you know? Like, what's that supposed to do? I don't know. I, whatever. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. A couple of thoughts. The first one is that she is prepared for an intentional plan with a specific activity in mind. You know, the problem is we think too many times we just ended up there. We don't know. Listen, have you ever heard the phrase, what happens in Vegas was planned? People got on an airplane with a pretty good idea of what they were going to do sometime in Vegas because the commercials guarantee they can keep it there. She knew what she was up to. And the other thing is that it tempts him with a lie. It's trying to tempt him with the quality of the experience. Hey, come on in. Come on in. Because look, I've got Egyptian linens and I've got these spices and this stuff and perfume on the sheets. Your wife doesn't do perfume on the sheets. And your stuff is like flannel from Kmart. I'm telling you. And, and, and so what it's trying to say. <laughs> got to be serious here because this is important. What she is trying to say is, I can give you what you can't get at home. And y'all are thinking, well, come on, Jimmy, again, I'm not committing adultery. Oh, yeah? You may not be committing adultery. But do you find yourself 
going back to the same Starbucks because the guy that's nicer to you and smiles at you more than your husband does serves you the coffee if you're there at the right time? Don't say yes out loud. Do you find yourself going to the same restaurant for lunch because the waitress there treats you better than your wife when she just throws the meatloaf on the table and is angry with you? Don't think I'm making this stuff up. You may not be off to a hotel yet, but we put ourselves in dangerous situations. And we allow those little temptations of, well, you can't get this at home. Well, that's why I have extended conversations with this person at work, because they respect me more than my wife. Well, that's why I go to the gym, because the trainer there treats me better than my husband. And we would never admit those things, but we constantly try to feed things we can't get at home instead of going home and fixing what we should be getting there, the way that we should be. So come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. The message is incredibly simple. Let us delight ourselves over God. Let us delight ourselves over our husband or our wives. Let us delight ourselves over honor and over integrity, over commitment, over your purity. Let us just delight ourselves. It's about you. It's about me. The truth is it's about me. Let me delight myself. That's all that matters. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money. That's her way of saying he is doing business transactions that has him locked out of town for a period of time. He must complete his business. At full moon, he will come home. She is trying to send him a message. You will not get caught. My husband's gone. He'll never know. He's conducting his own business. And it might even be the same business. You don't need to worry. You'll get away with this. I'm going to tell you, that's the biggest lie ever. I laugh at what God does. I have couples that come in and sit down, and a computer programmer got busted, did not correctly erase the stuff on his computer. And he's like, I'm a computer programmer. I don't understand what I did and how I missed that. Yeah, it's called God. God likes to confound the wisdom of the wise. That's not the Bible. God likes to take what you're trying to do in darkness and expose it. And you think that your husband always works on that side of town and will never be over here. Next thing you know, somebody's car broke down and he had to take somebody and drop somebody off and he sees you coming out of something. I'm just telling you, the lie that you will not get caught. Teenagers, your parents are so oblivious they can't even spell Facebook, much less log into it. Oh, you can get away with this, and you can get away with that. Your parents never ask what's going on. Look, I'm just going to tell you, somehow it's going to happen. You are not going to get away with anything because God loves you too much. He does. I'm going to tell you this. If you are getting away with something, you better ask. Yourself. You better be scared. Because evidently, it's not a good sign if you're getting away with stuff. God cares, and God's got a purpose for your life. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. Here it goes, everybody. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. I sit in my office, and I hear the stories, and as they sob through the tears, and they use the tissues, and they're saying, I wish I could go back in time. And here's the truth. Sex has the power to entice. And the results, once you've gone this far, you have gone too far. 
It is always too hard to turn back. You were lured. You took a step and you took another step and now you're trapped. You returned the phone call. You returned the Facebook message. You told the little boy you could sneak out and meet him on Friday night. Your parents wouldn't be home. You went too far and turning back, which used to be an option, is now nearly impossible. And you find yourself trapped because sex has the power to entice. And if we fail to recognize that, we will fail to avoid the trap that Satan has for us. So what are we to do? He answers, and now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol. She is going down to the chambers of death. Those two phrases of let not your heart turn and do not stray. Here is what we need to do. Number one, guard your heart. It begins with your heart. The minute you start thinking, my husband doesn't treat me well, my wife doesn't treat me well, my dad doesn't love me, but this little boy does. The minute it starts in here, you've got to do something about it. And then... Guard your action, especially the first step. Because once you've taken one, the next one is easier. And the next one is even easier. Last week when I mentioned the series that we were going to be doing, there was only one shout among an incredibly awkward silence. We're afraid to voice approval at talking about sex because after all, sex is bad, right? Isn't sex bad, right? It's the message of the church for more than centuries. There are denominations that are actually against any sexual activity outside of procreation. You wanted three kids, you had your three kids, you had your three times, good, you're done. Real, I'm not making this up. The church all throughout history has actually given us an idea that this is a bad thing. Because it is something that's been perverted and distorted. But it's not a bad thing. It's what God has intended for us. And so I don't, I'm ending with this because I don't want you to misunderstand. I've stood up here and said sex has the power to entice. Fact, bad or good, sex has the power to attract by offering pleasure. And when used in the right way, at the right time, we're going to talk about that next week. But when you don't watch out for it, It'll tear you down. Sex isn't the problem. It's what it personifies, the immorality of taking away from us what God actually intends for us. So I want to make it very clear. Sex is not bad. God made us. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. Last time I checked, there's only one way. It's not the problem. But let no one fool you. Sex does have a power. And if you don't stand guard, it will take you out. It's very possible today, and I do hope that as you've sat listening to this message, some of you maybe have had an encounter of realizing that the God in heaven with all the rules is maybe not like that at all. But He's your Creator who loves you and has a plan for your life, a good plan. And a plan, of course, means sticking to a plan. He loved you so much that He actually died on the cross. Jesus to pay every penalty you could never pay, to make you holy again because we're simply not and our God is. To, to create a way across the gap of impurity and unholiness. Ryan referred to it earlier as sin. It's a word I know we don't like to say, but it's the true word. 
And the good news is Jesus has died for you. And he has done something to make everything right with you and God again. And if you're in a place where you need that, you've never had that conversation, you've just kind of been at a distance, God's just been hanging out there somewhere, I want to help bring God close for you. I want to help you have that conversation that says, because you died for me, I want to live for you. And if you've never done that, we're going to do that right now together. It's a very simple prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to stand up or anything weird. Would you all just join me and pray? And if this is you, pray something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for the plan that you have for my life. I thank you for making a way where there was not one. I thank you for paying a price I could never pay. I thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, and for your mercy. I thank you for your death on the cross and the gift of life that it gives me. And my simple prayer in this place today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen, amen. Let's celebrate with those people. If you would stand with me, we're going to Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.